It's Tuesday, July 3rd, and this is The Daily Dive. Basketball superstar LeBron James is taking his talents to Los Angeles and the Lakers. King James has agreed to a four-year deal worth $154 million after taking a personal meeting with Lakers legend Magic Johnson. Dan Beyer, managing editor at Fox Sports Radio, joins us to discuss the big move and what it means for the Lakers and the NBA. Next, rumors have been swirling for some time that President Trump's longtime personal attorney may flip and cooperate with federal authorities. In an interview with ABC's George Stephanopoulos, when questioned about his loyalty to Trump, he said that he will not be a punching bag and will put family and country first. Daniel Littman from Politico will join us to break it all down. Finally, Doug McMillan, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about tech's dirty secret. Google is letting app developers read through your Gmail. It comes down to those privacy policy notifications you refuse to read. Computers and algorithms are sifting through your email, but in some cases, so are humans. We'll let you know how it works and how to check if you agree to let these app developers see your data. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. LeBron, welcome to Los Angeles. This is so exciting that you're coming to the city of stars. And you, without any doubt, are going to be the biggest star of all on the court and off the court. I love it. Joining us now is Dan Beyer, Fox Sports Radio Managing Editor and the co-host of Fox Sports Sunday. Exciting news. LeBron James is now a Laker. Big thanks to Magic Johnson for pulling this all through. What's his deal worth? Why did he come to L.A.? Well, LeBron's going to get a four-year deal worth $154 million. And, and the amazing part about it really isn't the $154 million. Is it that LeBron James has committed not one, not two, not three, but four years to the Los Angeles Lakers, which is a pretty big deal because, for one, LeBron is playing on a series of short-term deals in Cleveland, and it allowed him great flexibility and also the options to look elsewhere, which allowed him to, to be a Laker. But what this does is while many other stars, uh, say a Kevin Durant at Golden State who just signed a, a two-year deal recently but can opt out after one, this gives the Lakers a little bit more breathing room to to build a winner, to build back showtime. That is really key. Now, it's really tough to turn down Magic Johnson. We had heard that LeBron exactly. met with Magic along with his representatives on Saturday night. and. It's a a difficult thing to look into Magic Johnson's eye and say, no, we know that that LeBron looks up to him, that he loves his business savvy. All of that kind of went into it. But the the biggest deal is I know know everybody in in Lakerland is like, we've got LeBron James. The great thing about it is you've likely got LeBron James for three or four years. Right. Something to definitely build off. You mentioned Magic Johnson, uh, he definitely looks up to him and respects his business acumen. LeBron James specifically, his, he has a summer home here in L.A. His business partners and advisors moved here recently. He has a production company and a media thing that he's trying to get going. So it really makes sense for him to want to be out here as well. And LeBron isn't the first to do it. There have been other players that have looked at life after basketball, but it is a big thing if that's where LeBron wants to go. It only seems natural for him to be here. Not only with everything that you've talked about that he's doing, I mean, you've got like a Space Jam 2 movie that is that is coming out, that a trailer should be should be released soon on that, that he's involved in. So this just seems like a, a, a natural fit. When you look at those and you bring all those points, it almost makes it an obvious decision that LeBron joined the Lakers. Talk about LeBron James as a player. 
the Lakers haven't been doing well. The Cavaliers, by all accounts, you know, he was carrying that team the past few years. Beyond that, even since the decision in 2010 and everything and his decision to leave the Cavaliers and then come back later, the NBA is a players league now. And mm-hmm. and he's kind of at the forefront of all this, helping change what the NBA is. Yeah, Oscar, there's some that say it may be difficult to play with LeBron, but I think that you're going to find more and more people saying that it's easy to play with LeBron. Sure, there's responsibility that comes with it, but when he went to Miami, he played with his good friend Dwayne Wade, and they brought along Chris Bosh, and LeBron was still able to rise to the top of that big three. Joined the Cavaliers again when he went back, as you mentioned, when Kyrie Irving was there, and then they swung the deal with Kevin Love, and I think you're going to see future players, maybe a Kawhi Leonard, maybe a DeMarcus Cousins end up coming to LA. But the key point is, is that for as great as LeBron is, there are opportunities for other players. Now, if you want to be a superstar like Kyrie Irving did, didn't really necessarily work out, kind of wanted his own life, but there will be players that want to team up with LeBron and and the Lakers now have set themselves up to bring in those players over the next couple of years. We obviously have to wait once the season starts and how everything shakes out. It's a huge win still for the city, for the organization, but it's also a big win for Jeannie Buss trying to transform the team after um, you know she was left taking care of them. Talk about that a little bit. She had to fire her brother. And, right, and exactly. that's not an easy thing to do. And when you had Mitch Kupchak, who was there for a while as well as the team's general manager, those weren't easy moves to make. A little bit easier when you can bring in someone like Magic Johnson to be the president of the organization. And Rob Palenka, who was Kobe's agent at one time and affiliated with him, could come in and be the general manager and have contacts throughout the league. There was some question because of the pedigree where they maybe they weren't in front offices for 20 years prior and, and didn't build them themselves up. But you bring in Magic Johnson to be Magic Johnson. And I think that was a, that was a key move. And in addition to that, that's who Jeannie Buss trusts. And as, as crazy as it sounds, she trusted Magic Johnson with the franchise. And now, whether she did or didn't with Jim Buss, you can draw your own occlusions, but Jim Buss isn't there anymore. But she trusted that Magic Johnson would do what's in the best interest of the Lakers. And I think so far he has done that. For Laker fans, they do have to realize the drought that they've went through over the last five years are pretty much what a lot of NBA franchises have already had to deal with for 10 or 15 years. So, But it's different when you're a Laker and it's <laughs> right. different when it's that brand and, and you have to make those big moves. And she was she was able to do so and kind of take this franchise and turn it into a, no, a new direction and try to bring it back to the Showtime Lakers. I love some of the quotes that Magic Johnson said because you know people were asking him about it. He's like, do you know how many finals I've been in? He's like, I'm Magic Johnson. I'm not worried about this. Oscar, let me just add, add one more thing to that. What was interesting was Magic is always magic and you don't have the magic doesn't have to tell us what he did because we could always see it with him what was unique with that and what caught me off guard of him saying that was I wondered if the Laker fan base was maybe being like all right magic we've given you guys a year when are we going to get LeBron when are we going to get Paul George when are we going to get Kawhi Leonard and I wondered if he kind of tried to be like hey Lakerland I'm Magic Johnson, okay? I'm going to deal with this. I, I wonder if that was kind of the message that, that he was sending because usually he doesn't have to tell us what he did because he's magic. Right. Dan Beyer, Fox Sports Radio Managing Editor, co-host of Fox Sports Sunday. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Oscar. Appreciate it.
went back at Cohen a third time and said, wait a second, Michael, I've heard you say in the past you take a bullet for President Trump. I said, I've heard you say you'll always be loyal. You'll do anything to protect him. All he said in response, and he said this with emphasis, to be crystal clear, my wife, my daughter, and my son in this country have my first loyalty. That is a very, very different message from what we've seen from Michael Cohen. Joining us now is Daniel Littman, co-author of the Politico Playbook. Michael Cohen, the president's longtime personal attorney, is a man in search of a goal. He wants resolution. He wants to regain his name and reputation back. He did an interview with uh, George Stephanopoulos. It's the first interview that he did since the FBI raided his offices. People are saying he might be flipping. What's going on? Yeah, so in the interview, he said that his highest loyalty is to his family and to the country, not to the president. This is a person who had previously been seen as someone who even said, I'm willing to take a bullet for Donald Trump. And so uh, it appears that this sustained scrutiny by the FBI and the Southern District of New York and prosecutors and agents has really changed his mind about his potentially flipping and providing evidence to prosecutors. As you said, he once said he would take a bullet, but he also said in the interview, you know, he's not going to be a punching bag as part of anybody's defense strategy. He's not the villain in this story. And he doesn't want other people to depict him this way. There was a lot of reports about how the president would often call him and berate him and whatnot. But he was such a loyalist regardless that he is thinking about cooperating with authorities. It really signals a shift in his attitude towards the president. He doesn't want to go to jail for 20 years. And so Paul Manafort seems to be not doing that strategy. He seems to be sticking by the president. When you have young kids, you don't want to miss their lives growing up. Cohen never felt like Trump really brought him into the White House or to Washington. He's been out in the cold in New York. Uh, He's had lots of legal fees. As a lawyer, you kind of know that this type of stuff racks up. And he brought in a lawyer who worked for the same prosecutors that are investigating him right now. And so that is kind of a clear sign that he is looking to cut a deal. He just said he's, he's waiting to see what are the actual charges they would want to bring against him. And then his lawyers can probably try to figure out a deal. What is he under investigation for right now? It seems like it's two things, Stormy Daniels and then crimes associated with personal business dealings. Yeah, so it's like wire and bank fraud and whether he had any other shady activities. And so I think the main thing is in terms of Stormy Daniels, whether he mislabeled the purpose of such bank transfers were when he's trying to pay off these women. That's a crime because you know banks need to know what is why people are moving money around. And so if it's for mistresses, it's kind of awkward to say that on the forms, but you can't just say, oh, it's for real estate or other matters. And so that's what they might have him on. Specifically on the Stormy Daniels front, Stephanopoulos asked Michael Cohen, did the president specifically direct you to make that payment? And Michael Cohen said, I want to answer. One day I will answer. Is that really a particularly important point? I mean, if the president said, hey, pay her off, can he be on the hook for anything? Or is it just really Michael Cohen who's the ultimate fall guy for it? Trump just does not want to get brought into this. He might eventually give an interview to Robert Mueller's investigators and Mueller himself later on this summer. We're just not sure yet. And so it's more of a embarrassing thing than a legal thing right now. But there are lots of other things that Trump could pay scrutiny on. And who would have thought that a porn star would play such an important role in this investigation? I think it, it kind of speaks to the messy personal life that Trump left behind 
and that he had Michael Cohen clean it up in his wake. And Trump himself has denied that he even knew about the payments until they got reported in the media, basically. What did Michael Cohen say about the Mueller probe and the Russia probe? He said that Americans should detest Russia and repudiate Russia interfering in our elections. And so, you know, he shook hands with the investigators that raided his house and his office. He wasn't going to call them fake biased agents. He knew that they were doing a job just like he did a job for Trump. He respects the Mueller probe. Uh, he just wants a resolution. He's not adopting the harsh language that Trump and his allies do about casting aspersions on the investigation. It does kind of sound like a guy who doesn't want to make the FBI mad, though, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, he's saying, I respect them. I shook hands with them. I said, thank you for raiding my home. It sounds like he doesn't want to get on their bad side still. Yeah, most people don't want to get on <laughs> law enforcement's bad side. So Cohen is and he did, uh, using his noggin. And he did say that he didn't agree with the term witch hunt with regard to the whole Russia probe. Yeah. George Stephanopoulos had great questions. Many Americans don't view it as a witch hunt either. They view it as there was this serious thing that happened in 2016, and we're trying to get to the bottom of it. Witch hunts describe what happened in the 1960s and 50s with McCarthy hunting down supposed communists and socialists in Hollywood. Some of them actually were, but he took it way too far with the House Un-American Activities Committee. You know, they're trying to muddy up the waters for Mueller so that fewer people believe him if he, in fact, gets to Trump or his kids. Daniel Lippman, co-author of the Politico Playbook. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. But definitely we're seeing the, the possibility for abuse and the fact that Google is trusting these outside developers, many of them are one or two person startups, to handle something as sensitive as email is surprising and alarming. Joining us now is Doug McMillan, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Let's talk about tech's dirty secret and how everybody is looking through your emails. Gmail specifically, right now they have about 1.4 billion people using their service and they're letting a bunch of app developers sift through your emails, read your emails a lot of times. So what's going on with this? Google wants you to be able to use email in kind of new and useful and varied ways. You can use Gmail in the regular way and use gmail.com, you know, like, like billions of people, you know, like over a billion people do every day. Um, but there are a growing number of app developers who are coming up with kind of cool new features and add-ons to use email in new ways. You know, some examples are um, more sophisticated kind of travel itinerary planners. There are apps that will kind of track the receipts that come into your email and help you make kind of smarter shopping decisions. Um, there's apps that will help you do productivity things like schedule emails for later. So these are all kinds of a universe of new email apps that let you kind of use email in a new way. And the more I started kind of reporting and looking into these apps, the more I realized that they also are getting really surprising access to the data that's contained in your email. Similar to the Facebook thing with Cambridge Analytica, they're not Gmails. Nobody's accused of actually selling your data away. But similar in that case, all of this data collection is used for giving away to marketers and, and targeting you with ads later on, right? Yeah. Like you said, we haven't found any uh, specific instance of abuse that is on the level of what we saw with Cambridge Analytica and Facebook. But definitely we're seeing the, the possibility for abuse and the fact that Google is trusting these outside developers, many of them are one or two person startups, 
to handle something as sensitive as email is surprising and alarming. I think something that most users don't think about when they click a button and give that access. And one of the creepiest things is they're not only using computers and algorithms to review your emails. In some cases, there's actually people sitting in front of a computer reading thousands of your emails at a time. Yeah, we were pretty surprised to discover this. A lot of people who use these apps and generally use a lot of different services online now, I think assume that there are a lot of computers uh, and algorithms scanning your data all the time. What we were really surprised to learn about was in order to make those systems work, in order to make those machines scan emails and perform a certain task in the right way, in a lot of cases, they needed these companies who, who analyze email data needed their human engineers to step in and actually read emails from time to time. A good example is this mobile app that we looked at called Edison. Edison makes a mobile app that helps you kind of manage all your email accounts in one place on your iPhone or Android phone. And when they unveiled a new feature that helps you automatically reply to emails by coming up with like suggested reply to any email that comes across your screen, they wanted to do that through their computers, but computers can't just figure that out from scratch. So in order to build that algorithm, this company Edison had a couple engineers manually programming, yes, this reply makes sense to this particular email, or no, this reply doesn't make sense to this email. So at the end of the day, that meant reading actual personal emails. The CEO of Edison, I talked to him about this at length, and he thinks that this is not a violation of their privacy policy. He doesn't think that it would surprise that many people because it's something similar to when a telephone repairman um, is repairing your telephone line, sometimes they need to uh, listen into that line to make sure it's working. He thinks that this is no different. But you know, a lot of the privacy experts that I talked to said that, in fact, you know, this is different and that if somebody is reading your emails with their own eyes, you probably would want to know about that. And right. with all the email data companies we looked at, nobody was explicitly saying in any of their privacy policies that, yes, we have people reading, we have human beings reading your emails in some stages. It's always this privacy policy that they do show you and you have the option of reading and most people just don't read it. They'll just click OK and you go and, you know, it's never it doesn't become a problem until something happens after that. We all we're always giving access away to our personal data. The only thing you can do to really protect yourself is read these privacy policies and then make that informed decision whether you want to give access or not. That's yeah, if anybody has questions specifically about this and the email companies that may be looking at their email, I would go to Google, search for Google My Account, and you can look into actually Google will, will show you the accounts that have access to your Gmail that you may know that you've given them access, or maybe you don't, you don't even realize you've given them access. Google is pretty good about giving you a list of those companies. And if you have questions about those companies and what they're doing, I would go into actually go into their privacy policy and see if you can figure it out for yourself. Like many things with tech these days, these policies are being written in a way that will give these companies the broadest latitude to do something in the future rather than cover specifically what they're doing now. So it can help you give uh, give you some more kind of information about potentially what's happening, but probably not the full picture of what's happening. Doug McMillan, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us a comment and give us a rating. 
Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.